welcome to episode 71 of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. Uh, my guest this week, normally, like if you're a, a regular viewer slash listener to, uh, to the podcast, you'll know that we do this on, uh, uh, on a Friday night normally at half past seven, but I was willing to make an exception for my guest this evening. Um, you may have seen him in the pilot for the BBC3 sitcom uh, Jerk starring Tim Renkow. You may also be aware of him uh, through Angel Comedy's Patreon lockdown sitcom. Um, he's currently in a break in between stints of supporting Patrick Chielty on tour. Um, you may have recognised him from all of that. I know him as a lovable Irish stand-up uh, with whom I used to grace the stage way back in the D.A.Y. Ladies and gents, John Maher! John, how the fuck are you doing, man? Yeah, good, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. It's lovely to uh, lovely to see you. Lovely to uh, to catch up again. You're looking well. Looking very handsome, if you if I do say so. Thank you very much, man. You too. You look younger than you used to when you were doing stand up. Well, you're my favourite fucking liar. Immediately. Uh, yeah. No, you looked terrible then. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like a man in trouble so this um i'm delighted man you look great well that's very kind of you yeah i um i suppose like somebody showed me a picture of me from a few years ago the other day and then i put it i compared it next to one of me now at 41 and i really don't want to admit the magic that going to a gym has had and and more so like the magic that my girlfriend's influence on my diet has had but it had like i feel healthier and i think it inarguably i'm looking perhaps a little bit better than i used to but yeah 100 yeah. um i've given you a little bit of an intro there john but i think a really interesting place to to start would be like from the beginning of your your comedy bio as it were because um uh, as we were sort of just chatting before we went live uh, I was sort of struck by this post that you put up. It must have been a couple of years ago now where you were talking about how you and your friend Matt came over, like, no name. You know, like, you hadn't really done stand-up before. Uh, came over with just, just a sort of dream in your pocket, like, to coin a cliche. And now you're both sort of smashing it. So let's just, like, wind all the way back. Do you reckon you could take us through, like, your journey uh, coming over, just doing shit open mic nights and then, like, progressing to where you're at now? Yeah, man. So, um yeah, so like I'm, I always want to be a comedian, right? So literally, if you, if I was a kid and you asked me what I want to do, I wouldn't have told you. But in my head, I would have been like, I'd love to be a stand-up. So, yeah. but you know, didn't know how to do it, didn't know what to do. Ended up getting in, involved in other stuff like martial arts and kind of things like that, and uh, kind of went away. And then, one of my best friends from home moved to London I came to visit him and he lived with a guy called Stu Richards who Stu people may know is now a quite a big time producer and has his own company he is the creator of Jerk and right. creator and everything but Stu was doing comedy and he was the first person I ever met who actually did stand up so I was like holy shit like that means it's possible and it was we were just having the crack one night when I was over visiting and Stu actually put my name down for an open mic. And it was later on, I had to fly wow. back to do it. Like I was still living in Ireland. So I flew over here and did uh, Jester Jesters. They had a thing in Farringdon. A man from, it sounds, it sounds like bullshit, but the second that I did, said my first joke, I was like, this is all I'm going to do for the rest of my life. That's and so I walked. 
like just to interrupt a little bit but like jamali maddox told me a really really similar story he was like when he when he first tried it he was like this is all i'm ever going to do <laughs> i was like yeah. fuck like it's interesting that you both got that parallel there but yeah sorry to interrupt carry on no 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 you're grand but and and it was like obviously very raw and you know i didn't know what a light was i ended up doing 14 minutes i was meant to do five like and i was just like there's a guy waving a torch i thought that was great and um <laughs> like he's laughing so he's like yeah. yeah this is mad they don't even laugh anymore they just fucking flash lights at you so <laughs> i uh came off stage and rang my friend matt my best mate matt who we had worked together for years and always you know talked about comedy and movies and all and i rang him he was living in newcastle at the time and i was like man we're fucking wasting our time doing anything except this like you've got to do it and he so he then was like oh yeah okay and he signed up and i think his first gig was the stand in newcastle which was sold out it's like 300 people or something Fuck. He fucking blagged his way on so and, for, like, uh, for people who don't uh, aren't familiar with comedy and the circuit and stuff like the stand is quite a major fucking vet like so there's one in edinburgh right one in glasgow yeah edinburgh glasgow newcastle and he, even now it's like almost impossible to get on you get on and then you're like all right here you're on after dylan morin or kevin bridges or whoever they're like just get on you're like all oh, right okay um and so that was just so me and him then just just were flying away separately i did about maybe three four gigs in ireland over this about a year it was just like couldn't get time and um then a friend of a friend messaged me and was like oh i heard you were thinking of coming to london which i don't think mm. it was but i must have said to someone there's bigger comedy there and uh she had a job and so i just moved to london straight away and so like in like a week cipher crashed kind of thing yeah so crash friend then got a place um and just started hammering yeah the open mics like we are funny where me and you did lots of the gigs together yeah and it just happened that Matt got a job um, in like Bishop Stortford or somewhere. So he basically was in London as well. And so the two of us came down and started hammering it. And yeah, like but since then, it's just been, you know, it's really hard. <laughs> but in the past, like that post you saw was, that was my first gig at the comedy store. Yeah. Which didn't feel possible. Yeah. You know every time you get something like that or you know like this tour now with patrick keelty is like literally every night is an out-of-body experience for me because um like people from northern ireland will know patty keelty is the like biggest comedian ever come out of there first person really to make fun of the troubles and we used to watch him like with the family you would sit around and watch him and so now it's like fuck, we're doing thousand state seat theaters and i'm sitting and he's like yeah. what I'm like, it is, it, man, I, like, it's, it, I'm living, I'm living my wildest dreams. It's yeah. mad. Um, but I still have a job, but yeah. <laughs> but that's because like, I love Are you, it. as in like, you've got a day job on top of, like, yeah. support stuff? Oh, right. Okay. Because that's full time, and I'm delighted to have it. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of a misconception, isn't it? Because, like, I think if I came over to see you, like, if, if in the unlikely event you decided to include, all the shots on your uk tour with with patrick uh 
uh, I would assume, like in watching the support act of a gig like that, that the person I was watching, they were, you know, professional comedian agent that they had like sitcoms on the go and and stuff. But times are sort of a bit bit tough in the entertainment industry, right? Well, yeah, like so before COVID, I was cutting down, so I was down to basically two days a week, and then COVID happened, and I was like, this is madness to be doing this. So. Thankfully, my place kept me on and and made me full time again. So now I'm just tired all the time. But it's not like, uh, yeah, it's not unusual anymore. Like Matt is the director of a brewery. Like he's a he runs Lane's Brewery basically. And um, there's other like you know one of the best comedians in the UK and Ireland is a guy called Chris Kent. I don't know if you know Chris. So Chris yeah. is like James Acaster said Chris is his favorite comedian. Tommy right. says he's his favorite comedian. He opens for Jim Gaffigan and all. And Chris is an electrician, like worked for Pfizer all during lockdown as well. Yeah. So there's more and more of that where you're just like, you can't, you know, the gig money is nice, but, you know, there's a quality of life like that I enjoy. Yeah. It's, I suppose the insecurity, especially having come through COVID, and yeah. then when you wrap things like, I mean, I don't suppose like European tour, like red tape, Brexity kind of restrictions. I don't suppose that's troubled you yet. But like, that's another example of how things are are getting harder. For Not for me, harder. man. I've got that Irish passport. Oh, fuck. Yeah, of course you do. Do you know what? what? I thought I thought I lucked out because my mum's from Belfast originally. And uh, and she said when Brexit was already you know, starting to kick off. Uh, she was like, I'm I'm going to sort it out so you and your brother will have Irish passports because you have that right, ancestry and so on. And I thought like, oh, fucking amazing. Um, but the fucking rigmarole it's taken, like we've still not got them. Uh, it's all, it's very complicated because like, but like it, it sort of all goes back to my mum needing to get a copy of a marriage certificate, but they got married in South Africa and the, the place that it's kept, like it's the a whole fucking sack of chaos. So I've I feel a little bit cheated, John. Well, I mean, like all I can tell you is the Irish government responds well to cash. So <laughs> if you've got the cash, you will get your passport eventually. Don't worry. Wicked. It's good to know. Have you got any contacts there? I'll give you the ambassador's number, I suppose, but I don't know if he'd do anything for you. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that. So that. That's that's sort of where where I was at. And like, you know, I'm that classic. I'm sure you've talked to lots of people who um, just before COVID, everything was like on a like, oh, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Having shit the bed. But um, now it's good. Like I couldn't be, I couldn't really be happier with sort of the way it's going at the minute. Like, yeah. Do you think, do you think is, is there sort of, or I imagine that there would be two kind of tribes of comedians through COVID and after COVID where for some it would feel like the drawbridge had, had been pulled up and that the pandemic shutting down all the venues or making life infinitely harder for the venues was crushing their opportunity. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck. Well, that's the, that's the pipe dream kind of shut for a little bit. And then I think maybe there's some other other comedians who maybe branched out into like like sitcommy stuff like producing their own like online content and and that sort of i know there was a lot of online gigs and shit right um and i've heard sort of mixed mixed success of those i don't know if you if you did any 
in like lockdowns and stuff but um but i imagine like do you or rather is it your is it your experience that there were like did it egg you on to be a bit more entrepreneurial about your comedy or were you just like oh well that's that over for a little bit yeah like honestly man no there, there's a few reasons why before lockdown i i had just done a tour as well so i had just come off three months on the road around the uk right. and Ireland. and the last ever show in ireland was a gig that i was on with jonath regan at Vicker street which is like ireland's biggest comedy venue and that happened on the friday and the saturday was lockdown right. so like for the first six weeks i was fucking pretty happy with the state of affairs like um and then i was doing a lot of writing a lot i was doing a lot of like stand-up writing but then it became pointless because initially it was like you know ah we'll see in six months you know like yeah good six months off that was grand we had matt and i actually had got a week of gigs in new york we were flying out for in september and we were like right that'll be great that'll be great to come back then it became clear that wasn't going to happen and honestly i just tried to not go mad like yeah so i was like they aren't this the zoom gigs and stuff some people were fantastic at them like carl donnelly's was brilliant um but i don't know that it's a skill set that i particularly had or or sort of you know lazily wanted to do and that's Mm. where my day job helped me a lot because i didn't have to like i didn't have to do them like or go to car park where lads were beeping the horn at you and all like oh fuck is that did you see them no was that a, a, fo- a new uh, format <laughs> new format mark watson did it and like so people would drive into a drive-in gig and some of them had up to like i think i seen one that was a thousand cars wow. like certainly over a few hundred for a lot of them and instead of laughing they beeped the horn but like that's too dystopian you know i was watching that and like if this is comedy yeah. not, then no bueno like no uh, i couldn't like i mean for, for anyone that's listening who's sort of come across this podcast uh via the tech route or via the politics route um uh like if you're not familiar with like the science of comedy if that doesn't sound too fucking insufferable but like there's there is a science to getting people to laugh right so if you smush people all together in a basement in a dimly lit basement with a low ceiling and it's not a a really baking summer hot day like you don't want it to be too hot you want it to be you know a comfortable temperature in there there's all of these variables that you can kind of tick like box tick that will infinitely help your gig right Per, uh, unless, unless there is a pandemic floating around. Yes. <laughs> which, yeah. The ideal gig is a fucking petri dish, really. <laughs> um, it is as it's disgusting in terms of hygiene. But uh, yeah, so like yeah, and I was lucky in another thing you mentioned tech. Kind of tech um, was I was early on to the mad GameStop stuff that happened oh, last really? year. Yeah, where their shares went through the roof. And is so this, that is, fucking hell is this where you tell me you've become some sort of investment no. millionaire it's all gone it's all gone <laughs> it's all gone but it, it like it did give me a cushion whenever the shit had hit the fan and we didn't know anything um 
but yeah, but for gigs it was like I went online. I watched one. I watched one online gig, and the guy, who is actually a very good comedian, was doing his club set, but he was doing it from his like fucking washroom. So there's like a washing machine behind him, and he was trying to do club gear and all. And I, I, I oh. it, it was <laughs> it was so weird. I just was like, I can't, I can't. Yeah part of this like. i i spoke to lisa cross uh about it um on in a previous episode and she was like no like some of them are good like some of them she's seen acts on there that she would never have normally seen and she said it's been really cool that i think that weekend coming up after i spoke to her she was booked in for some international show like it was it was off in a completely other country like where she would never have been able to um I was about to say expose herself to that audience, so that sounds dodgy. Uh, she never would have had a chance to perform for that particular, say, subset of people. So I, I get that there's there's pros to it, but yeah, sort of similar to what you're alluding to there. I think you just you lose something, man. Like in in the physical presence of being in that dark room, low ceiling, being in close proximity to other people with a beer in your hand. Uh, and like the excitement of I don't know like the music and the lights going down and like I just I don't think for me personally it it could ever hope to be replicated in in something like Zoom you know yeah but and but I tell you what was great actually was whenever uh, whenever things did start opening up then you had a lot of places where because they were still uh, they couldn't have the people in, do you know what I mean? They had to socially distance. So uh, the venue was having a quarter of the people. So they streamed the shows as well. And that was good. And like, you know, there was lots of people I seen afterwards who are disabled or for one reason or another, can't get out of the house, who started going to comedy shows because they could then. Yeah. Which was, and I did one of the, the first gig I did back was at Angel Comedy. They did this, uh, they did this thing where it was like a, basically like an all-star night and they let a few of us not stars like chip in and um so there was like 15 people in the room and it was all cameramen or performers and they had a few hundred people on zoom and that was brilliant yeah and after it i burst into tears me and john kern's crying and all i was like <laughs> we're coming back we're gonna come back like you know just that just that even the feedback of like 10, 15 people looking, even if there's a cameraman completely jaded who yeah. will never laugh again, that alone was enough to satisfy my rampant ego. Like, Yeah, well, I think it's it's a big thing, man, like to, to have put all your eggs into the basket of, of stand-up and to really craft your work around it and to invest like two, three, four, like many more. Like some people do this for, what, 10 years, 15 years? hoping that it's going to turn into something so to put that much investment of your time and money into something and then a pandemic comes along and fucking shutters your all of your venues is that's a huge chunk of your life that's then removed i don't know what that does to somebody psycho uh, like psychologically to have their goal and the thing that they've been working towards just stripped away immediately um uh so it's like i can see how it would be really then quite emotional when you get like a little taster of it again you're like it's 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 crippling it yeah <laughs> it is because you're you know and like you say i like i'm not one of the i'm not someone who is like a stand-up and a blogger and a sketch guy or whatever i was just like 
what I do is stand up, which is limiting, you know, and I would be, I would have a probably much better career if I started doing TikToks. But all, all I want to do is that stand up. Yeah. When there was the shaky time of that, where, you know, fair play to my missus, like who managed to deal with a fucking overgrown child, like going, it's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's entirely forgivable. I mean, like I, I was already out of the game largely uh, because fatherhood came knocking. Um, but I st- like I was dipping my toe back into it. I was sort of like sim- it's similar, but not as exaggerated as the example that you're talking about, you know, where a pandemic literally kills it. But it was sort of like I had I had done stand up for about five years, I think it was. And then uh, then nothing because we had our son um and then i my son was just becoming sort of like manageable and like less you know like i had to be there 24 7 uh and my girlfriend was able to sort of look after him and so then i was able to dip my toe back into it and like i was i was just starting to get like oh yeah like i'll, I'll try a little bit every tuesday and i'll build up like a brand new 15 and i was start getting these ideas in my head of like wouldn't it be cool if i just got like a decent set of cameras and just filmed like a really nicely edited a new like 20 minute set and i was i had probably about 10 15 minutes worth of material and then the pandemic happened and so for me it was like oh fuck i was just you know i was just getting back into it and then it's but i think for someone like yourself it probably would have hit a lot harder you know but you uh, like it's interesting because you were the like you were mad Back when you you were the first person I knew who was doing like three and four gigs a night and like yeah man a lot of drive and that was was borderline mad it yeah it was uh well I, I don't know man like I I did this I did this HR course uh a month or five weeks ago something like that and uh, they were talking about different personality types and uh, you know it's like you're a green person or you're a rectangle person it, like all of that stuff. Um, and I went into it really. Those, are those in the same? That feels like two very different, <laughs> different, different, different personality types. A rectangle. Who came up with that scale? No, I'm just giving you like you no, know, silly examples. But like I'm joking, of course. Yeah, but it, it was like, like I, I went into it really cynical, thinking like, you know, what what the fuck is, is this Scientology or some shit? You know, we like doing personality tests and, um, and I actually came out of it thinking like they've sort of got me banged to right. Like they said um you get you get psyched by like big bold ideas um you get obsessive about new interests you get like there's a lot of stuff there where i'm like fuck i do like and i think in that first sort of two years of doing stand-up it was a sort of obsessive disorder really like i was just like i've got to fucking make something of this because at the time my office jobs weren't going particularly well and but this was something I felt like I could actually do, and I really fucking loved it. It was so much fun, and everyone I met in the like this is the thing that a lot of people who are not into comedy won't really get. But you would think in the comedy circuit there would be loads of fucking sniping, joke stealing, backstabbing, like big egos and stuff. But my experience of it was actually that everyone was really fucking nice. Like it was so nice to meet like enthusiastic, creative, cool people who you could bounce ideas off and you know i thought like was that your experience too um i suppose oh shit 
I would say no, no. I would say no, but only because, um, like, I never really was interested in getting into, like, uh, probably relationship or friends groups with loads of comedians either. Right. You know, so uh, I'm kind of lucky in that the group of friends I had at school, most of them are in London. So I, cool. I was like, I had that, and I find. Uh, not like not in general, but especially in the early days, like I would say, I found quite quite a lot of people tiring. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, like I mean, and, okay, I don't know. I, I yeah, I just was happy enough to get out of the rooms a lot of the time. If I'm being very honest with you, because I yeah. think, and I mean, this is like, you know, like I'm older as well. I started older, so I always felt like I don't have enough time to be fucking around. At this like I've got a how do I get from this gig to the next gig to the next gig to be better and take the opportunities as they come and um and and while working the whole time was you know so I probably like and that you know I've missed out on a lot of that and you know there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for having a clique of very funny comedians as your friends uh but I probably just didn't get that. I also don't get people being mean to me, but I think that's because of my accent. Yeah, I think, well, you come across as quite a friendly, lovable guy, I think. Yeah. But um, but then also, like, it's difficult to imagine people being mean to you if, if you did sort of hot-tail it out of, uh, out of the venue. It would be usually, I would imagine, if there was going to be some drama there, it would be by two people who stayed behind <laughs> late, carried on drinking and, you know, kicked off at each other. Yeah, I never drank either. Did you not? No, and I, I, I mean, I do, I do drink, but rarely, and mm. uh, so I think I avoided a lot. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's probably helped in a in a few situations, I suppose. Um, I always used to say to um, uh, to Ashley Hayden because he would he would have about like four pints, I think. I hope I'm not like misrepresenting him by saying that, but I'm pretty sure he used to have about three or four pints before he went on stage. And I used to say to him, like, the trouble is with doing that is like, I'm all for having a beer to settle your nerves before you go on. But I also got it into my head, like that if you if you have a beer before you go on to settle your nerves or three, you're always going to need a beer before you go on stage. And I just didn't like that idea that I would always associate being ready to go on stage with having had a, a bit of alcohol, you know? Yeah, you're right. Like yeah, some like sometimes I do, but very rarely. But yeah, it's not. I I feel like it's not a good idea. But also, I'm a huge lightweight because I don't drink a lot. So yeah. one pint will affect me. It's not like I'm just loose and up there. I'll probably be fucking slurring or trying <laughs> to fight. Like I'm not. So I know to ward that off. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, picking fights, uh, obviously something something fairly big happened in the news last night. Uh, a stand-up comedian said something quite tasteless uh, about someone in in the audience. I don't know if you've heard about this. It was, this was on a couple of stations today, uh, and uh, and the husband got really irate and he walked up to the comedian and punched him in the face. But but did he though, or was it a slap? I think it was a slap. Well, did he get irate though? Because the video I watched, Will Smith bursts out laughing. Turns around, sees his wife, and goes, "Oh no!" 
which look anyone who's been in a long-term relationship will know that dynamic like where you laugh at something that you think's funny and then your girlfriend or your wife or whoever like gives you like shoots you the look like the judgy side like don't laugh at that <laughs> don't be that guy um i i suspect maybe there's an element of that like i was talking to my girlfriend about it earlier and she was saying the trouble is we don't know what jada pinkett said to will smith in those seconds in between because there's no camera footage of that yeah i i mean i i guarantee you there is somewhere but you know what she said she was like you just gonna fucking let him talk to me like that like that's what she said in classic you know every fight in a nightclub so i work in hospitality so like nine times out of ten two lads scrapping has started because someone's missus was like are you just gonna let that happen really yeah, it's always that. It's always that. As as horrifically toxic as that sounds, that is pu purely the voice of experience talking. Like, so that's what happened. Plus, like, it was a terrible slap. He should be embarrassed about that. He The whole thing is just drama kids. That's all it is. And I love it. I love drama kids. They never change. <laughs> him, like, you know, him hitting them and then crying about it. Crying up the, because he hit someone. <laughs> like, yeah. What? And then, like, I like the idea that uh, I read this. Somebody tweeted it earlier saying um, that in between every ad break after that moment, then Will Smith was, like, quietly talking to his publicist. And yeah. uh, someone else was like, I, I bet he fucking was. <laughs> yeah. Tis, and and everyone just is like, you know, either either they're like, yeah, you know, he... He did what he had to do. Or they're like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And you're like, can everyone just fucking relax? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so funny. I, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I'm like, I'm not against hitting people when they've earned it. Like, Really? I can't imagine I, you smacking someone, John. Oh. When was I, the last time you hit someone? Come on, let's, let's peel this onion. The last time I hit someone... I can't remember the last time I struck someone. The last time I've like been in a physical altercation was probably three years ago. All right. On the tube. But it's been more like yeah, yeah, like you know, I like I grew up where it's like not a particularly big deal. Yeah. To, to that like I don't, I don't go look for fights. A guy was fucking. A guy had a hold of a woman on the tube platform. That like that's where I did. So I choked him. Like. I don't feel bad about that. No. That guy deserved it. That's you a know. different thing, though, isn't it? That's like the dynamic there is one of defense and protection. Uh, I think it's sort of... I, I have sort of mixed feelings about, about judging too hard, too publicly about someone like Will Smith, because I don't know what it's like to be married to Jada Pinkett. I, I just have <laughs> I don't know how that... Like, what control... <laughs> she has over him like i have i was talking on a on a chat group earlier and i was sort of saying you know from the context that i'm aware of and i fully accept and hold my hands up that i don't fucking know everything but the context that i'm aware of is that she's done the dirty on him run around having sex with younger dudes hold his ass onto network television to tell him about it in front, in front of the world and like that must be a humiliating fucking hollowing experience he he, he did too though oh did he yeah yeah he, ah. well, the word is they've got an open thing like that's the word so i seen someone tweet earlier it was very funny might have been laura smith i'm not sure it was like 
that slap was for the lad that was riding his missus. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you can, he's like a teapot boiling on the stove. Yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, I think Hollywood's fucking nuts. They're yeah. all mad. But do you know what's for, like? I I love like instances like this in their own way are kind of sad because it's like obviously their marriage is fucked, right? And I don't know why they stay together. You know, they've both committed adultery and if they want to stay together for the good of the family and the kids or whatever then great but i also feel like by not actually addressing whatever the underlying issue is whether it's that they don't fancy each other any longer or if they've emotionally grown apart by not actually resolving that what it's doing is like manifesting in weird fucked up situations like this and now everyone else has to deal with it it's like yeah infinitely worse now you like your dirty laundry is going to come out it's all over twitter like this is probably the biggest like piss take celebrity news story since like something that Kanye did. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean he's mental, so you can't really blame him either. But yeah, like the I did see Nikki Glazer had a great tweet that was open relationships seem healthy. Mm. Like these things are just they it's just it can't it's not healthy. It cannot be healthy. I'm no. sorry, and I mean this is I'm that's very parochial and conservative of me, maybe, but like there's only so much you I'm sure you can take of your wife banging other dudes, yeah, or you know you have to slap Chris Rock, <laughs> <laughs> but also I thought it was like the the most the most embarrassing part of the whole evening for me was that Chris Rock was telling that joke. I was like, yeah. What? like does he not know that he's chris rock anymore this is the thing man it's like i i felt the same actually about jimmy carr when he did the uh the joke about gypsies a few weeks ago i was like i wrote a blog about it and um i was saying like here's the thing right i'm a stand up at heart erstwhile i may be right but i i fully respect and love the form the craft and I'm going to have a natural bias towards comedians when they say something upsetting. If it upsets a few people, I sort of look at it like the greater good. Like you have to break go break a few eggs to make an omelette or whatever the, the saying is, right? Uh, so I'm going to side with Jimmy Carr or Chris Rock. But in both these instances, similar to what you're tapping into, I'm like, it's the shocking thing is that comedians of this caliber would have bothered signing off on a joke that kind of lazy you know yeah that's a and oh man after the jimmy carr thing i got into so many rows with comedians because uh, and Chappelle is the same mm. like the you get a lot of the you know free speech you can't say and in these days like those guys yeah yeah like you know who leap to people's defense like that and i'm like you're confusing offense for a lack of due diligence and ta- like those like those examples jimmy carr one i think the Chappelle one and last night is just shit joke writing it's just sh- they're just yeah. low bar like not of the where those guys should be and i expect more and fair enough that's a me but like i'm not offended i'm not offended by it i'm annoyed that i could yeah, see yeah. i could see that in any open micer i'm annoyed that jimmy carr did that joke because he's so much better than that joke and that chris rock last night is like gi jane when did that come out 
like 20 something years ago yeah 90s what about yeah like, what's going on so i don't know that like that's where my thing is you know and that offense and comedy and you know i've seen comedians on who are like oh great now i have to worry about people slapping us no you don't don't no yeah, I can't see anyone. First off, that would mean that people really, really wanted to emulate Will Smith. Like, and he's not like no disrespect to Will Smith in that capacity, but he's not one of those celebrities where people are like, I'm going to I want to be like Will Smith, you know, in the same way that like Eminem was like Eminem. People wanted to emulate him. They dressed like him. They bleached their hair like him. But yeah. nobody's nobody ever says like, you know, like, oh, who's your who's your favorite actor? I'm a massive Will Smith fan. I just don't think that type of person yeah. exists you know it's a bit like he's like the the, the hollywood a-list equivalent of like and again no hate but he's the equivalent of like a josh widdicombe in that people like him they like what he does and his output and everything but i've never once heard somebody go i'm a massive josh widdicombe fan or like i love like he's my favorite you know yeah so i don't think anyone's going to jump up on a stage and hit people because they want to be like will smith and equally i think most people and the fact that it's become so salacious this event uh tells you that it's largely broadly seen as completely unacceptable so i i think it would take a lot for people to to be like yeah well you know he's really yeah. broken down doors for me man people and more so comedians love to love to be victims at the minute there's nothing better than like yeah. oh my god i'm so scared how can i go on stage now because i might i might make fun of someone's wife and that man might slap me i'm like yeah well like again ah like it's very as i'm saying this i sound like an old man but i'm like like you make fun of someone's wife you might get a slap in the mouth like that you know that might happen and there you go that's you're you so like you're so much more laissez-faire and laid back about this stuff like if i got hit in the mouth like or slapped in the mouth at a stand-up gig for saying something i i think it would ruin my year like it would really like viscerally dig into me i'd feel violated and like i wouldn't take it as sort of just part of the course it would really like I'm such a pussy, John. Like, it would, I think it would traumatize me. I might even seek out therapy. I don't know. Well, you, you would every, just take it as like part of like nature of the beast. Everyone should do therapy, but I think like if you're um, no luck. I just think, yeah, like you talk like it was a shit joke that he made about his bald wife. You know, some like obviously it's mad that he did it, but still, it's like, yeah, sometimes you're gonna get slapped for that. Like, it's yeah. Fine. Chris Ross going to be fine. He was fine immediately. That's where I was like, you know, I was very sad. Then I was so impressed because I was sad he made that joke. And then I was so impressed that it took not a second out of him. He just immediately went on. And I'm sure he had 50 things to say that would have fucking ruined both of them. And he just chose not to. But yeah. I'm excited to see what Chris Rock does next. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, it, oh my man, that, that offense and comedy is a you know that is a big that's a big, i'm sure you talk about that do you the, the people who are like you can't say anything these days yeah i mean the cliche is that people who say you can't say anything these days can never answer the follow-up question which is like what do you want to say yeah what is it that you really want to say that you're not allowed to say anymore it's, like, it's the n-word it pretty much yeah they want to say something really shitty 
And like, here's the thing, like you, you all know this more than anyone, I'm sure. But the thing with comedy is like, I, like I go on TikTok a lot and I do political stuff, but I also do some like stupid, funny things. And sometimes I get comments back from people saying like, you can't talk about that stuff either because I'm a white guy or because like today I was doing a thing about uh, Will Smith and somebody said, you can't talk about, you can never talk about disability uh, in comedy. And, uh, and here's the thing, right? You can talk about, I, I think, fundamentally, you can talk about any subject, literally any subject you like. You could use that in a comedy routine, but you've just got to be intelligent enough and sensitive enough to learn how to like pepper the build up to it and to get people on your side and to couch it in between two other bits that, you know, like there's a technique and there's a form and there's ways that you could like you could take a, a subject that's incredibly uncomfortable to listen to somebody talk about and use it not talking about that or like laughing about it or um dismissing it or anything but you could just use that topic as a metaphor for like talking about something else and then you're not like, like so you can use these things absolutely in in different ways in comedy nothing i think should be off limits um, yeah i don't know no, where I you stand on that yeah no i agree it's all it's always it's always nonsense like i was at a gig not too long ago and um we're in the green room and the green room after there's me and two acts that have been on and this conversation comes up how scared they are to say anything stay you can't just be free anymore you can't right. do anything. one of those acts in his set does an impression of a gay guy just so he can touch women's tits right and the other one there's a woman does a joke about giving people aids and right. I was just like that. I was like, what is it you can't say? Like, both of them killed. Like, the bit, they, yeah. was, they were an example of what you just said. They're, if you saw, if I told you, oh, we've got this person up, he's going to do a joke about a gay guy, and this one's going to do a joke, you'd be like, get them, out, get them out of the building. They should never work again. But they were proficient enough to have written it in a way that it wasn't just a bang on this X, Y, and Z. But, like... That is the thing where you're like, you know, you'll see people and they're just like, oh, we can't, you know, you, you, I don't get booked anymore because I make these jokes. And yeah. I don't I, I don't I don't really know anyone who I think that is true of. I know that um, Leo Kirsch, uh, who's kind of fairly right wing, works with GB News, would say that. But and maybe him. Well, Leo's a fantastic comedian. Like, I absolutely disagree with the majority of his politics or whatever, but his comedy's gold. So if yeah. he's not booked, it's because of that. But generally, the rest of them is that it's just not very good. I think like, that's it. I think it's a it's a nicer story to tell yourself that you were marginalised and uh, professionally persecuted for your political beliefs, um, rather than the awkward, inconvenient truth, which quite often. I imagine is I just wasn't very good. I know nobody really wants to say that or to, uh, to, to take the ego hit of being like, I really fucking tried at stand up for let's say three years. Um, and I just couldn't, just couldn't progress in the same way that other people. It's just a nicer thing to then tell yourself, isn't it? Like, ah, oh, they, oh, they won't book me there anymore. Cause I talked about X and Y. But it is complete fucking nonsense. You're right. Yeah, and you know, I'm a fan of the of Bill Burr's uh, Bill Burr's side in that, which is, 
you know, are you killing so hard every night that people don't want to follow you? And that, you know, there's your... Once you can say that is true, once you can say, I am the best on every professional bill, like Michael McIntyre can't follow me, then I'm like, okay, you should be famous, so now we need to look at why that's not the case. But, like, I did... I was hosting the other night, and Ian Stone closed, and that he that might have been the best thing that I've ever seen, Ian Stone. It's like, and, you know, he's a very well-regarded comedian, you know, has done lots of stuff, does bits of TV, but he's not on TV every night. Are, are they, are these people better than him? No way. Like yeah. Jeff Innocent, like Jeff Innocent should be on Live at the Apollo every week and he's old, so he's not like, but you know, it's, I think, yeah, I think these guys just need to have a word and with that, which is, you know, like put the work in. Yeah, it's 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 putting the work in, but I also feel like um, uh, there's a there's a a deficit of emotional intelligence sometimes with some acts uh, where let's say you go on stage and you do a routine uh, that uses sexual assault as a metaphor. Right now, you're not laughing at sexual assault or victims thereof. You're just saying like you're talking about something else and you're like, God, it's like being sexually assaulted by the fucking Pope or so, you know, like you're using it as a way to convey how you feel about something and the crowd laugh. Right. Then you've got like three open micers waiting to, to go on. Like maybe you're hosting and you've got some like middlers or something. Uh, and they hear you do that. And if they don't have the emotional intelligence there and they just take that at face value or something close to face value. And they, what they take away from it is, oh cool i saw john do this gig the other night where he did a joke about sexual assault so i guess that's cool and then they go off to like jester jesters or somewhere do a joke literally about sexual assault and the room is silent and then they don't get booked there again and then they go away and they're on twitter or writing blogs or something going like yeah they, they can't fucking handle me because I, I you know you can't say anything anymore you know i think there's a lot of that <laughs> yeah i mean I'm sure that happens, but those guys, I think we're never going to get anywhere anyway. I do think people, like, I'm very lucky, and we both are lucky in that, fair enough, there was camera phones around when we were coming up, but not, mm -hmm. like, wasn't as ubiquitous, people putting up their clips and all. So there was a degree of, you could say, you could make mistakes. You could make those mistakes and be fine, whereas now it is harder, but... You know, and that is unfortunately the only, like in cancel culture, the only people who I can actually see that get canceled are like open micers. Like though those guys mm -hmm. get fucked whenever they do that stuff as opposed to, you know, just people going, hey, you can't do that. What are you doing? Is there like, like in terms of, because I'm a little bit out of the game. So, but when, when somebody does go up on stage and they say something really shitty, uh and let's say racist or homophobic or uh is there a culture now of like in that world where people do camera phone like they sort of like spy on the shitty comedian and then upload their clips and go look at this racist motherfucker and then that's it they're cancelled does that kind of stuff happen or mm, <clears throat> i'm trying to think of one recently there was one there was a guy recently who got called out online for doing anti-trans stuff but there was no video it was just somebody in know. the crowd who got offended and left but um 
like it does happen because because the the real you know the truth of the cancel culture thing is that if you you know like powerful people it doesn't affect them at all you know I yeah mean, I won't fucking you know defame anyone here that we know you know there's mega acts who if they weren't famous people would be saying that person has sexually assaulted multiple people you've seen it with fuck that guy that actor who just yeah. all 20 women come forward and it's just the case goes away like that's those guys nothing happens then but if you don't have that behind you the machine behind you you're kind of you know yeah you're do you mean uh wait am i allowed to name the actor or, or is are we back into legal like that was in the paper like he he i just couldn't remember his name but yeah so like he you know that case isn't going forward yeah yeah did he did he not do it i don't know but 20 women seems like a lot so and i imagine there's probably more but like i vaguely remember his response to it so this is noel clark i'm just going to say it because it's incredibly unlikely that he watches this and uh uh and yeah it's been all over the papers and stuff so um but yeah i remember when that came out and i think his response to the allegations at the time was a classic case of uh and i fucking hate it when they do this like they go they say, I refute these allegations completely. They're all made up. It's all fantasy. They're all, all fucking liars. And then they pivot and they go, but, you know, I've not always been an angel and sometimes I've misread the signals and I'm working on being a better... It's like, well, which fucking is it? Like, are you running around, like, grabbing people's asses and putting your faces in their boobs? Or, you know, have you been a fucking angel the whole time? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I, that's where... I was thinking that today of, like, you know that's where I'm. I'm in full favor of people getting punched in the mouth. Mm. Lots of comedians should get slapped in the mouth. You know, less so now, but God, the stories you hear, like you know, oh, God, like I, you know, the stories that I hear from women and stuff is mad. The different there yeah. is. There was for years. Hopefully, it's less so now, but there was a different circuit going on and on one of those circuits you were assaulted or at least made to feel very uncomfortable quite a lot of the time like yeah like that's that's a huge thing isn't it for and as as you've just said like i don't know if it's got any better i suspect it probably hasn't um i think whenever you've got a lot of men in a room and a lot of alcohol which these venues invariably do uh and one or two of the men in there have got a position of power or influence and you've got you know sometimes very attractive young women trying to get stage time and stuff then there's some very very questionable behavior that i've heard that's gone on um but it's 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 like anything else isn't it it's a bit like banking football like take a big group of men with some sort of influence and like the like the laughable thing about it really is that a lot of these individuals actually don't really have an awful lot of power or influence but they've got yeah, just really. enough yeah but it's grim anyway sorry it took us on a tangent there sure yeah no worries um so yeah the the last question i've got for you really because i'm i'm conscious of time um i don't want to eat up all of your monday evening and you'll you know take you away from your cabbage and what what the fuck was it you were cooking bean and onion stew that sounds yum uh but yeah i don't want to keep you from it uh but last question um so like we touched on your like your bio at the beginning and uh your impressive trajectory as a stand-up um where do you 
like are you just sort of on a romantic journey as a stand-up comedian or do you have a specific place where you're like i'm gonna fucking do that or this is where i want to get to yeah i've got yeah there's a few things that i want to do like i want to you know i came i've come close to having uh some sort of decent things on the in the media and stuff and so i want to have i want to have it like a stand-up special obviously it goes out in in the main paid for by someone else there's places <laughs> like a gig yeah you know i want to do you know I would, i'm doing all these i'm doing these amazing places with patty katie at the minute right and it's fantastic but i want to do them with my name on the door yeah. so that's the that like that's the goal for me is do that do vicar street in dublin 1200 people like one of the best rooms that you're ever going to be in that where you're you know backstage and you're seeing the posters of everyone else who's done it and that's where like that's what i want to do you know i i uh, whatever it whatever i can do to to be a full-time comedian that's what that's sort of what i want to do yeah yeah and you mentioned like new york earlier so is that is that like a recurring thing do you think you'll go back over there and do some sets yeah 100 percent. so like um i'm dying to get over there and at the minute there's quite a lot of irish people go like at the minute a lot irish people have always went over there irish comedians are going over there now and you know doing places like the stand and the comedy cellar and you know all that stuff and you make because you know you know this the stand-up world is so small you just can't imagine there like the more you jump up a gig you're doing like with people who you've seen on tv for years and then you jump another one you like so like i've got to know a guy tom rhodes i don't know if you know tom tom's like yeah. a, one of the first people who got a major development deal in america had his own sitcom has traveled around the world for 20 years just doing stuff he's amazing and like he's asked to, he's asked me to open for him and stuff and there's like so there's things like that where there's opportunities there to be taken and i feel like you know, if I had a list, I want to do the comedy store in LA. Yeah. Big. Like, we all want to do that, be on that stage. That's massive. Um, and But that's it, really, man. Everything is... All systems point to that, you know? Are you going to do... Do you think you'll do, like, Montreal or Edinburgh or...? I don't know. Edinburgh... Um, I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast on this itself. I, <laughs> I uh, have got major issues with Edinburgh because I think all it does is increase the class disparity in comedy, which is already fairly big, uh, you know, for people who can afford to do it and people who can't. Like you said earlier about the people in lockdown, you were talking about comedians maybe getting to a thing and then just quitting because it's not for them. Yeah. That didn't happen people who could afford it, you know. But I know people who quit because they were like, I can't afford to do this anymore and I need to work. And you just lose a swathe of really interesting voices that you just we just don't hear enough of so edinburgh you know like i like i know i was chatting to someone recently about edinburgh and they were given their breakdowns of the room they're in so they're in like a 50-seater room right and if they sold out every single day for the month they would only owe five grand Fuck. like how can that be yeah happening? but and you know i've um you mentioned therapy. I've been in therapy too because I have had a problem of I get into meetings with people. Like I just said, I've almost got some big things. What I didn't say is I torpedoed those meetings by ending up uh, like telling people 
what I what I thought of him, which he shouldn't do. But <laughs> like right. in Edinburgh in particular, Edinburgh is set up for people who can afford to lose ten grand in a month. You know, or you're eating yeah. bean stew for the thing. Like, so I hate that. And even I had a meeting with someone recently about uh, putting a show on and in a venue in London that I really wanted to. Like, it's a venue that is a signifier to other people. Like, oh, this guy's doing, this guy's on a correct path. Yeah. And it hadn't crossed the programmer's mind that I wouldn't be in Edinburgh. And I was like, right. Sure, I'm here. Like, come. They were like, we'll go and see you in Edinburgh. And I was like, come see me here. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, it's a lot easier in Edinburgh because we have this. And I was like, yeah, okay. Well, give me five grand then. Yeah. You know, it is literally that. It's where... this is the thing. Like, people don't understand how fucking like financially ruining it can be to go up there because and it, like you you mentioned a minute ago about even if this person sells out 50 seats every fucking day for the entire month well how realistic is that like who have you got flyering for you have you got some sort of pr effort behind you um it's just like like i did i did edinburgh for 10 days one year uh and i came away feeling quite disillusioned uh to the point where i was like i would rather run my own thing in london see this is the thing there's like big bold ideas like oh i'll start my own thing like it's fucking ridiculous um but uh but i think i would rather and i i would respect your route more greatly i think of you know get yourself to the theater in london um get people down to your own thing uh would be quite cool but um but yeah so when is that still happening or did you tell those people what you thought of them as well <laughs> well, this is quite, it's quite good because the only time, you know, in, in recent history, because you can say things like, um, I come from a council estate, I'm not giving someone eight grand to pull my pants down, that now programmers can't just say no. So they will come and see me in, in London. But it's like, you know, to have to even do that is bizarre. Yeah. But you know, it's a different world, though, isn't it? It's the whole sort of privilege thing to them. Those producers or commissioners or, or whatever have largely I don't know exactly who you spoke to, but, um, you know, they come from a different walk of life where they can afford to just flush 10 grand down the toilet or uh, or their uncles lend it to them or, you know, like they've got access to capital. And so when you say that you're not going to Edinburgh, they're like, well, why? Like then I don't think they're being genuinely like cunty to you. I think they're just like, I, I don't understand why, why you wouldn't. Yeah. I think it's the mix of not just whenever they say why it's, it's, it's my furrowed brow as I launch into, <laughs> into, <laughs> into a rant, like fucking Wolfie Smith. Like, yeah, I, I just, I've got, so I've got, Look, if you, you can afford to, it's great. I also think that the benefit of Edinburgh is that you get to do a gig every day for an hour or whatever. And I totally understand that. But I also understand that days off are important and having a life is important. And right. um, I think, you know, otherwise you end up being one of those guys who only talks about the stuff that happened at a gig last week. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like, you know, in a perfect world, I would go up and not worry about the cash. But um, 
I can't allow someone uh, with an RP accent to do that, to have that control on me. Yeah. Fair I just enough. need. I just need to stop calling them all cunts. To this. <laughs> that's it. like that's where I'm. You know, we're, 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 I'm, a, I'm a work in progress. It's yeah, yeah, fine. And that's where the therapy came in. Just to be clear. Yeah. Cool, man. Oh, I'm not even joking. I was about to be given a, a quite a big thing, and the, so the meeting started with, "This is amazing. We're so happy to see you." And it ended with me going, "Everything that you've made so far is terrible, though." So. What is like <laughs> so stupid, so stupid, and yeah, so I had to go and get uh, professional. Then, right, it's there's a beauty in that though, isn't there? Because no, it's like, is it, not, there's not, there's well, not obviously now, outside, there is, yeah. Well, like what you're doing is you're speaking truth, right? So, I mean, I assume it's true. Like, was genuinely everything that they'd done had been terrible, yeah, it was terrible, right? It was terrible, but like, you know. But the way to do that is to make good stuff, you know, to change, like to to bring them stuff that is good, and get in there, yeah. you know. And you know, like you, Stu Richards is a great example we mentioned earlier. So Stu created Jerk, wrote, created it after he knew Tim Ranco, got the pilot made, got the series one made, and was landed with another producer because he'd never done anything before, and. Um, I mean, I don't know what's out. Let's just say he he was no longer there in series two. And so Stu made his own company. He just formed his own company. And I was like, well, I'm just going to fucking do this differently and make good stuff. And now he makes a lot of the Rosie Jones uh, shows. Okay. Stu's got disability as well. So he's got like his whole company, I think is 60% of people in his company are disabled. Like it's massive. He's changed. Like he has changed the game and and doing that um and he did that by not calling people cunts <laughs> well i mean i i like your way better because like because hey, it's not your career yeah well it's more entertaining for me i guess you know selfishly it just works better for me but um but i think i think there's genuinely like there's something to be proud of and to know that you you just spoke truth to power in a weird way you know like you didn't you weren't really feeling this stuff i suppose there's an argument you know for tact and to communicate yeah. well with these people here's the thing is it doesn't affect them mate when you do no. that so they don't go away thinking oh maybe that guy's got a point they go away thinking that guy who like we were going to give a working class guy an opportunity but these guys can't hold it together they're so annoyed they're so angry you know so it's like <clears throat> Sort of realizing that you're bringing more to the table. Yeah, yeah. I like, oh, so stupid, so I'd, stupid. But I'd I hope don't do that anymore. I'd hope they wouldn't be that sort of ignorant about it, and instead they would just look at it like, you know, one of them asks the other one, "Oh, how did that uh, meeting with John go the other day? That guy you you said was really funny." And then the other guy goes, "Ah, oh, no, it's but you know, bit of he an said everything problem. we made is dog shit." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> I think we won't be moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> but see, even even the fact that we're laughing about it now, I'm just like, I fucking love it. Like, and and then I think, do you know what? In in five years time or ten years time, where you are playing the comedy store in LA or you know out on like with your name above the door, you'll think back to that stuff and you'll be like, yeah, man. Like I I told them that they were cunts. I told them that all of their shit wasn't working. 
now I'm here. You know, there's an integrity piece to that, and I'm I'm feeling it. I'm here for it. Well, that's very nice of you to say, Ed. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, right. Listen, man, this has been lots of fun. Uh, I wish you all the best uh, with the rest of the tour, and uh, hopefully at some point we can bump into each other for a beer. Very, and, uh... very older shot. That's yeah, got very F-based, so I don't think we'll be there. But where where is that in the air? Uh, Guildford and Farnham? Okay. No. <laughs> Striking out. Anyway, yeah, but hopefully we get to, hopefully we cross paths again soon. For sure. All right, mate. Take care. Catch up soon. Thanks, man. Cheerio. Bye.